Welcome back to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. My name is Jacob. I am a Christian and we're joined again this week, Jamal, by our guest. Noel Dew. Yes, Noel is back for another week um, where you left the conversation. If you were, if you well, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you should go and back and listen to last week's episode because this week's episode will make a lot more sense if you did. I, I think it'll make absolutely no sense if you don't. So uh, yes, please do come back at least one episode. And the joke to, will make sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, listen to the last episode, then catch up with this one, and we'll see you on the other side. We will see you then once we've found out about the nature of evil. Uh, The question of evil, um, Augustine, whom you quoted earlier, uh, sees evil as a negation. Um, It's kind of non-being. Yeah, so so one uh, deficient illustration is that um, a shirt may be a good shirt, but when it has a hole in it, it still exists as a shirt, but that hole is not part of the shirt. It, it is a deficiency, it is a lack, it is a, an evil thing in the sense that it doesn't belong to what which is ontological, it doesn't fit. And I'm just wondering that the problem of evil is closely linked to the problem of suffering, of course. And Augustine has that sort of negated view, negative view of suffering. It is by what is not there that the suffering is produced. Now, obviously, one of the points that you would have to have spoken about in your conversations are um, not just the existence of suffering, but the purpose and approaches to suffering. Because in my own view, um, uh, the Buddhists have a better theology of suffering than almost all Christians I've met. (laughs) <laughs> uh, because particularly Western Christians don't have a theology of suffering, as far as I can see, and all generalizations are wrong, but sometimes they're helpful. Yeah, yeah, Jamal. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think probably the first thing to say there is that I'd like to decouple evil from suffering. Yep. Um, suffering is existent, and you know, it's the first noble truth of Buddhism is that you know, um, it's often translated as all life is suffering, but probably the better translation is um, all things in life will. Uh, have suffering in them. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, that's not inherently evil. Right? I, they, I agree they, with the, that. This I idea that. Of, of good and bad and, you know, the kind of value judgment on that is probably a separate thing in Buddhism. But certainly, yes, a theology of suffering, absolutely. And, and Buddhism takes as a kind of inherent truth of life is that suffering exists. You, you will suffer. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think... You know, it, it's it's almost like a byproduct of the state of the world. Mm. You know that that the, the state of the world is that things are impermanent. You know, and that that nothing you want will stick around, and nothing you don't want will um you know will inherently always leave. It'll be there at some point. Um, and that kind of the human desire to want good things and not want bad things and, you know, want certain things and want to avoid other things is that kind of root cause of suffering. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I would agree with you. It's a – I mean, you you spoke about Buddhism having a um, a, the, a theology of suffering. I, I would argue Buddhism is a theology of is suffering, theology. right? Very like good. It's, I, wonderfully expressed, yeah. Thank yeah, you. like it's – I mean, you know, the – the whole driver behind the Buddhist path and the whole driver behind Buddhism is to escape suffering. We, we refer to it as samsara. Mm-hmm. It's the, the cycle of, 
of birth and mm. death and suffering mm. and all that's caught up in that. And like the entire motivation to practice Buddhism is you're sick of the suffering mm. and you, you, you just, you just fed up with it. You just don't want to keep doing it anymore. We speak about like my, my, lack of practice at various points like i accept that by doing that i'm going to suffer more that like mm. that my, my decisions to not become a monk will lead to more suffering to for me than if i did become a monk um and yeah i think it's a it's a really it's a really key part of it and i think you know to i think what augustine is is re- referring to when you guys have been speaking about that is a very similar kind of thing right it's this idea that yeah that that there is that that suffering is is just there it's human nature it's part of it and and you know that i mean augustine doesn't go to that the way out of that is to give up attachments and to let go of things i'm sure that augustine well, he, says that god will relieve you of that suffering of, but he kind of does a little bit um in the and i think we've talked about this on the podcast before um but he he argues that we're attached to the wrong things or we get mm. too attached to the wrong things and so Instead of loving God above everything else, we love all of these human things, mm. all these worldly things above everything else. And um, and Augustine seems to hold that the 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 basic problem of human existence is that our loves are out of whack. So mm. and and so whereas in Buddhism the answer to that is not attachment and and to to not be attached to anything impermanent. Augustine's response is, well, actually, the answer to that is to be attached to the permanent, that is God, mm. and kind of everything else falls into place after that. But he, he doesn't say, and this is something I've maybe not brought out well on the podcast previously, he doesn't say that that equals no suffering in this life. Mm. Um, but he, he does say that the kind of that's, that's your path to or, or your the the... Your, your connection to ultimate peace. Mm. Mm. Look, and, yeah. and, Go ahead, and I, th- I think mm. I think the Buddhist probably would also even say that it, that doesn't equal no suffering in this life. So that even if you were to attain enlightenment in this life, you wouldn't be attached anymore. But you would still you would still feel pain, right? It's not like if I become a Buddha and I become enlightened, I'm going to suddenly not get hurt when someone yells at me or when I stub my toe or anything mm-hmm. like that, right? It's it's more that you know, and maybe is a distinction between pain and suffering, right? Um, there's a great Murakami quote about marathon running, which is that um, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, um, which, you know, I, I think is a little bastardization of Buddhist theology, but, but you know, I, I, it kind of goes to that distinction of like, you know, there is still pain, um, but suffering is comes from the attachment, right? You know, the, the mm-hmm. suffering comes from, I don't want this pain. I I want to feel good. I want these other things. And, you know, yeah, that's, I don't know, that's a, I, I I I think I think you're right. I think I think Augustine is getting at a very very Buddhist um, uh, Buddhist attitude towards things. It's just except for the fact that that Augustine has some kind of permanent God that that exists there that that is worth you know that is worth being attached to or that 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 exists outside of the kind of the law of impermanence, which Buddhism yeah. would just say that isn't a thing. And, and mm. then the kind of the the classic Christian response to that goes further right which is to say that um to to maybe put it this way that that god becomes attached to human suffering in the sense that god kind of takes that on god's self so that 
we can be liberated from attachment to human suffering ultimately so um, but but like in a in a weird way that like actually throws you back into the world in a position where you can suffer with others and and feel others pain rather than avoiding it mm. because of that deep truth that the suffering has all been dealt with and is mm. impermanent Go ahead, Jamal. Sorry. No, no, I, I, we've been talking for, for five minutes straight. No, I'd love I, to hear what you want to say. Uh, no, I, I agree with your point made at the beginning of that little dialogue around suffering is not the same as evil. And my way of phrasing the link uh, was not meant to imply that evil and suffering are co-equal. Um, I am interested, though, in the concept of evil mm. and mm. how uh, each of you regards that concept and what consequences that has for the way you not just view the world but exist in the world. I mean, the, the Buddhist answer is very easy, just that, that there is no evil. Right. You know, okay. like, like there, there's not, you know, good and bad and good and evil and those dualities just are our kind of preferences and interpretations and our kind of attachments. Right? We say that things we like are good and things we don't like are evil. Um, in Buddhism, you know, there are things that, there are things that are more conducive to suffering and things that are conducive to non-attachment uh, and the ending of suffering. But, um, you know, I, 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 th I think we, we've said this quite a bit. It's like, you know, um, Buddhism doesn't even think that getting enlightened is inherently good. I mean, like, it, it's good if you want to not suffer, but if you're totally happy suffering, there's there's no reason to get enlightened. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it it's just a different state of being. Uh, it just happens to be one that doesn't have any suffering in it. Mm. Which, which is where one of my friends is fond of saying, like, why would you have nirvana when you can have the new creation? Like, actually, yeah. so, another tangent here. One thing I've been meaning to say for a few weeks, actually, that I that I learned, um, the word nirvana, um, we, we was used... made up by an American band in the nineties. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, we use the term enlightenment, right? But actually, the direct translation and actually the word in singular, which is still kind of rooted in the same kind of original Sanskrit-based languages. As the Buddha spoke, nibbana or nibbana actually means extinguishment. It does. Uh, so mm. yeah, and they use the word as in like turn off the light. They'll actually use the word nibbana uh, to refer to hey, can you turn oh, off could that you light? nibbana the light? Yeah, yeah. yeah, can, yeah. can you you know, you know extinguish that candle? Can you whatever else? Um, and yeah, I think it's a, again, it's just a diff different conception of it. Going like it's not about enlightenment as in like discovering something new or like you know being in a higher state of being it's just it's an extinguishment of mm. um of your kind of your yourself and your ego mm. and your your the the thing that is the, the thing that is experiencing the suffering gets extinguished man mm. that puts a whole different angle on like enlightenment in the post-renaissance sense right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well i think that, that that might be how we use enlightenment in english but you know yeah yeah it's, i'm very glad you brought that up jamal because it was one of the questions i was going to ask um my understanding was that uh, nirvana had come from the root word meaning to extinguish yeah and uh yet in the western world the how could I put it? The the latte sipping Melbourne inner centre. Not you, Jamal. Being from Melbourne and drinking lattes, I will take uh, I, I will I will take uh, offence to that. We will move on. But uh, please forgive me. Um, but the question, you know, Nirvana is often co uh, co equal with heaven, mm. and uh, it, the fundamental misunderstanding means that um, 
a Buddhist word has been given a thoroughly Christian overlay, and I think it um, uh, it becomes very, therefore, very deeply confusing for a lot of people who are interested in talking about Buddhism. Um, and, and even just that idea of heaven, kind of you you say a Christian overlay. Like I know I know a pastor in Sydney who kind of won't talk about heaven or, or avoids talking about kind of going to heaven and so on. He, he'll talk about um, being taken to glory at the end of your life and so on because he's just convinced that the word heaven has too many cultural overlays in modern Western thinking, whether it's kind of how we view nirvana yeah. or whether it's the angels with harps in the clouds and whatever. So he reckons the word is unsalvageable and so he tries to find other things mm. to relate the biblical concept of eternal life because when we say heaven we we get all the we get a different idea to what the new testament talks about mm. so i agree and Go i ahead. think what you're talking about there is a is a kind of you know it's a it's a western bastardization of buddhism and i, I find it interesting right because i think western buddhism is is rapidly on the rise and i, I think there's a lot of um uh, you know if if you look at the areas in the world mm. where buddhism is growing the west is is one of the Absolutely. big ones um and you know, I, I've said before, I, I think part of that is an alignment of values, whereas I think Buddhism is inherently much more of an individualist religion uh, than a communal religion. And I think our Western society is more individualist, so I think it can kind of match up there. But I think you're absolutely right. I think there is still a deep discomfort in Western society with the idea of, no, the whole point of this is to not exist anymore and to not exactly. feel anything <laughs> anymore. And actually, you know, it's not about, you know... Um, attaining some state of bliss that's mm. that's gonna feel great it's actually about not doing that and mm. um so it reminds me of this um this oh, so i was at the monastery last weekend i i go to a, a nun's monastery in um in bundanoon big shout out to santi nun's monastery um but um so i spent some time there and they were having a kind of a, an internal retreat uh mm. while i was there so i'm getting into some quite hefty theological discussions um and one of them, which I'm actually interested in, in both of your opinions on, it was there was a discussion around um, the difference between um, essentially good people who are unenlightened, who are Buddhist, or who know the Buddhist path, and those who are not. So, like, yeah, you know, what happens to the to the non-Buddhists who are really great, right? Um, and 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 so yeah, this is getting into a bit of the Buddhist theology that I don't inherently kind of link in with as much myself, but it's interesting nonetheless. And that they were reading a sutta, a, a Buddhist kind of passage, where the Buddha talks about these various kind of qualities, and the people with these qualities get this, and the people with these qualities get this, and it comes down to this distinction, which is effectively people of good qualities all go to heaven or the the, the deva realm, as they refer to it, or the, the realm of the Brahmins. It's kind of akin to how you might think of um heaven in a kind of hindu theology mm -hmm. okay um and that's where it came from culturally um so you know they they do believe in the existence of devas and the existence of brahmins and the existence of these kind of heavenly beings so it's mm. like okay if you're really really good in your human life you go to the heaven realm and for various lengths of time depending on essentially how good mm. you were mm -hmm. um but essentially what the buddha kind of talks about is those who are disciples of the buddha who know the teachings will go to those heaven realms and then after their time there will essentially not be reborn again. Like mm. that'll be it mm. because they'll go, cool, yeah, I understand the Buddhist teachings and so I spent some time in the heaven realms and now I'm done. Mm. Um, whereas those who are not will still spend time in the heaven realms, but then they'll come back 
mm-hmm. and they'll come back you know into the human realm or into another realm or into a hell realm even or whatever else because um because essentially they um you know they they, they essentially they get bored right like and <laughs> oh and because the, the time he's talking about is a huge length of time That's like right. it starts from like two eons now an eon in buddhist theology is about the length of the universe yep. right and it goes all the way up to 500 eons so he's saying there, there are some people who are really, really good and they will be in Deva realms for 500 eons. So effectively an infinite amount of time by what we can conceive of. Um, but if they're Buddhists and they know the teachings, they'll they'll realize that even that existence in the Deva realm is impermanent so that they'll eventually give that up and, and move on when their lifetime in there has ended. Um, whereas those who are not uh, will see that existence as permanent will we'll, we'll still think that all those things are permanent and so therefore still be stuck in the cycle because they're holding on to this sense of permanence, which mm. I think becomes a really interesting thing, which I think I have an answer to what is God in Buddhism now, which is that God, at least in a purely Buddhist theology, if we're only taking Buddhist conceptions, sure. God is a deva that's existed for 500 eons that just <laughs> thinks they're permanent, <laughs> Right. And the, 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 you know, they're just convinced that you know, they are a god because devas are gods, but they just think they're permanent and they're just not enlightened. And then human beings are just worshipping this one particular god that exists in, in a heaven realm. It's been there for 500 eons, so effectively it's just been there forever and is, is permanent from our human conception, um, but actually is kind of in this kind of cycle still. Uh, that sounds very Gnostic. Uh, it's interesting, <laughs> very interesting. Um, but... If I ask, may ask you, what would uh, the good be? The, these are the good people who have been in there for X number of eons. Uh, how are they defined as good? So they talk about, I guess, having good karma and, and having done, you know, good and, and noble and virtuous actions. Um, and that kind of comes back down to, you know, a, a little bit of a value judgment in there, which again, I, I kind of. Buddhism Just does a this, little bit, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I, uh, Buddhism does this thing a lot, where it kind of, you know, and, and I do this a lot too, and Jacob hates me for it. Was it holds two kind of contradictory things to be true at the same mm-hmm, time? Mm-hmm. So Buddhism says both there is no inherent good or bad, and that there's no there's no ego to actually have good or bad. And you know, in the same the same day, we're also talking about a sutta where you know the Buddha talks about you know it, you know nothing is superior or equal or inferior. Like there is no superior or inferior. So we're talking about that, but then also says, oh no, you can get a whole bunch of good karma and do a bunch of good things, even though they're kind of contradictory. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea behind that is that one is speaking from the kind of position of I've become enlightened and I've learned all these things, and one is kind of for everyone else who hasn't quite got there yet and needs some help to get on the path. Um, so in that concept, good is kindness. Um, it's you know uh, essentially doing things that uh, that that minimize the suffering of yourself and others, but also that you know that lead to non-suffering. Uh, that lead, but also that lead to non-attachment. So that lead to supporting people to realize the truth of the Dharma, to to realize the kind of the impermanence of things. That those things are good. Um, because they're pushing people further along the path, and and th- th- there is a kind of quite heavy value judgment in that when that discussion is held around, um, you know, with I, I guess with, with with the acceptance that the people who are hearing it are not fully enlightened, and that that they're at a point in that path where they are still needing some guidance and some steering. Hmm. Hmm. How do you respond to that, Jacob? Um, <laughs> There's so much there to respond to. Yeah, I've got a 
couple of comments, but you go first. Well, just to pick up on kind of the do do good non-Buddhists go to heaven kind of initial premise of the the thing, right? Which is a, a really for five hundred eons, common, do, yeah, yeah common, <laughs> the, the real good ones. Well, that, that's a it's <laughs> a better answer than you get from Christianity sometimes. Um, which is just to to say that kind of in in Christian thinking, or, I, or at least in 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 my thinking around you know, eternal life, new creation, however you want to, whatever you want to call that. I think it was C.S. Lewis or someone who said that um, I suspect that there will be many people who we didn't, maybe it was an old Jew, I suspect that there were many people mm-hmm. who we don't expect will be there who will find there. And there may be some who we expect to see there who we won't. Um, which is like th- this whole question of like, what makes a good person? And there's almost a separation there that I, I think happens in Christian thinking and Christian faith at its, at its best, perhaps, is like the, the separation of a person's actions from a person's being. That me, none of us are the sum of our actions. Like that's a really kind of existentialist way to think about it like if just for a moment to talk about existential philosophy it's that um existence precedes essence and so you kind of have this existence in the world and then you you have to work out kind of like who you are in that and and we can fall into thinking that well I, I then become the sum of my actions and all of the things that I've done. And if I've done good actions, then I'm a good person. If I've done predominantly bad actions, I'm a bad person and so on. That's probably a very um, clumsy way of putting it. But if we can separate whether or not you are good as a person versus whether or not you have done good things, then it it makes all the difference, for me anyway, hearing whether... God affirms me as a good person or God affirms me as a well, unaffirms me as a bad person, I guess. And and this is like the, the kind of good news within Christianity is that um, God has made humanity and the world and called us good. Um, and that God kind of in Jesus Christ works to make us good or remake us good even when we have done bad things. And so it, it kind of it comes back to like what what is this is the source of goodness what god says about me or is the source of goodness what either i say about me other people say about me or what my actions say about me um and and that's it's a really dangerous concept as i think we've talked about on the podcast before because it's open to all sorts of abuse you you've asked him like well if if god says you good well like why do good things to to which my my answer is it well, if if you're not doing good things, if you're not loving other people, then then you haven't actually properly understood God's love yet. But again, how how you make someone understand that is a whole mm-hmm. other question. And, and I think one one interesting distinction maybe to make here, um, which I'm just realizing now, and and I'm probably bound to be corrected on this. So people who know suitors at me. Um, but um, has anyone added you yet? No, one's, no one's, I, I don't have Twitter. No, no, no one adds me. Um, but the, I don't think I've ever heard in a suitor, and I, I think this is true, that the Buddha never uses the term good. 
the Buddha mm. uses noble and virtuous. That's interesting. And 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 doesn't actually talk about good in an inherent kind of goodness or badness kind of way, you know, and it's you know, non-noble, non-virtuous and like all these things, right? And yeah, that actions can be virtuous or not virtuous, but that's very much a judgment on the action rather than on the inherentness of the person who's doing the action. Mm. Mm. So it's a judgment about outcome, not motive. Yes. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, because I think that um, that plays into the discussion that we were having right at the beginning about the polarised nature of conversation today because it assumes always bad motive rather mm. than uh, good motive for a person. It seeks to judge the unjudgeable. Um, so by virtue of labelling someone as X, whatever you want to label them as, um, that comes pre-loaded with a whole lot of stuff around motive for that group of people that you've identified them as. Um, this reminds me of this time, a Christian, a Buddhist and a rabbit all walks into a bar. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're all going up to the bar um, and you know, they've recently all had blood tests. Oh. And, they're, and they're all like, oh, okay, like, you know, this is, all, this is a common human experience. We'll have blood tests. And rabbit And, and rabbit experience, yeah. Yep. Uh, so they're all comparing their blood test results. And they're like, oh, like, oh, you finally found out what blood type I am. So the Christian goes, on, oh, look, I'm, I'm a type A blood type. That's, that's so great. And, and the Buddhist goes, oh, God, I'm a type B blood type. Yeah, B that, for Buddhist. That, that, that's really yeah. good. <laughs> and, and the rabbit looks at their results and goes, ah, oh, I think I'm a type O. Uh, oh. <laughs> I had, that one's recommended by a friend actually <laughs> oh, dear. To bring that one, in. Uh, one of the questions that is probably underneath of all that we've talked about for this last little part of the podcast is um, whether the definition of good can in fact be the root of evil uh, take for example um, uh, the Nazi philosophy that justified the Holocaust, there was no doubt at a philosophical level that they believed this was a good thing. Mm. It was not mm. just that they were motivated by rank cruelty. It was seeking the good for the German people. And the definition of the good, therefore, can become the very thing which tips us into the very destructive things that the noble and virtuous path would wish to avoid or the commandments would point us mm. away from. Well, I, I think I, my instinctual response there is that the good is almost always the cause of suffering. Mm -hmm. um, and again, kind of trying to step away from a concept of evil. Um, you know, I think that's true whether or not that good is what we think of as good as or, of, or is something that we would think of as evil. Right, like all concepts of good are linked in with suffering. So yes, absolutely, the Nazi concept of the good was, is linked in with suffering. I would also say the the Western concept of um, wealth being good is also linked in with suffering. Mm. Capitalism has caused a huge amount of suffering. Um, the 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 Chinese concept of the kind of unity of the people and unity of the state being good is linked in with suffering. And I, I mean even. Yeah, you know, uh, dare I say, even the the Christian concept of God and God being good is linked in with suffering, uh, you know, in, in various ways as well. But yeah, that, that I think there there is a sense in which all conceits of value and all conceits of something being, you know, unequivocally good will lead to suffering because it doesn't 
accept the fundamental truth that nothing is permanent. So if nothing is permanent, nothing can be good. Because if it's not per- well, yeah, for something to be, well, it could be good for a context. It could be good for this particular moment. It, you know, if I'm thirsty, it's good to drink a, a cup of water. Um, but the idea that water is always good and drinking water is always good, I'd drown myself pretty quickly. You know, so it's like you know, the minute you add a layer of permanency and a level of universalism to anything, particularly morality and particularly concepts of good and bad that will inherently lead to suffering of some kind. Mm, mm, I understand. And if, therefore, the concept of good is inherently linked with some form of suffering, what prevents uh, the concept of noble or virtue being used as a euphemism for the same? How, how do they differ? It's an understanding question. It's not a critique. It's yeah. an understanding question. I- I, I think maybe it's definitionally that virtuous is that which reduces suffering. So, like, by definition, virtuous is the things that reduces suffering. So well, a, a virtuous action would be to to go, you know, t- to critique the concept of good is a virtuous action because that is going to reduce suffering. And so it's kind of by definition something – it vir- virtuous actions can't lead to suffering because – they are virtuous only in so much as they reduce suffering. If that mm. makes sense. Mm. But th- it, that does seem to the though the, to have the quality of permanence about it, and and as a metric across all actions, it seems to act as a, uh, a, a, a yeah. It seems to act across all actions as the judgment of what is. Well, I, I guess maybe yeah. the, the distinction is that what is virtuous will change in the situation. So it could be virtuous. It could be virtuous to kill in one scenario and not virtuous to kill in another scenario. I think it's very rarely virtuous to kill, but you can think of a concept where it is virtuous to kill. And so it's like, you know, I think the difference is that it's not the same thing every time, that hmm. that what is virtuous will always be different depending on the scenario that you're in. Um, Jacob, you had... Yes, you were going to oh, say. Oh, a bunch of thoughts. I mean, just on that of, of if, is it ever virtuous to kill? I don't think it's a particularly christian idea but certainly a a philosophical idea on the prohibition of murder is that the the problem with killing well we're not in a buddhist worldview but the problem with killing is that it is permanent that it you you can't undo it if you've if you've made the wrong judgment call on whether or not it's it's virtuous but i think thinking through this question of i guess virtue and the good, like to to put a Christian hat on, I have, I have the, um, a verse from the prophet Micah, um, which says, "You, you have heard, O mortal, what the Lord requires of you to um, seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God." Um, and thinking about it, if if mercy could be somewhat analogous to the the nobleness and virtue that you're talking about, but but thinking of that in the context of Nazi Germany, that with the Holocaust, the gas chambers were the merciful solution to achieve the kind of the, the overall good for humanity that they thought they were achieving there. But the, to do it via a, a gas chamber is much more humane than to do it via a firing squad, uh, which was exactly the logic that was used. At the time now, like, is that kind of a lesser evil? Because it is eliminating 
suffering or, or reducing suffering. Sorry, not eliminating, but it's reducing suffering. But I don't think you could call it good. And and I'm not sure that either kind of the, the concept of mercy or nobility or virtue like really gets you out of that. I don't know if I've helped the conversation at all with this. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I, maybe we're talking from different kind of premises here because it's not just about the virtuous it you you can't make an unvirtuous action virtuous by doing a virtuous element of it right like the 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 well, the, so the, the gas can you have a purely virtuous action then would be the question probably not in so much that like any action causes suffering to a certain yeah. extent because that's the inherent nature of the world like yeah probably not but like because I'd kind of I'd, I'd agree with that and and call it sinfulness, right? Yeah, yeah. but but like but I think that like it it, it kind of has to be taken at a kind of at some level, right? Like the Nazi gas chambers are still not virtuous because they're even though they are a slightly more humane version of a pretty terrible act, they're still causing a significant amount of suffering. Like, yeah, you know, the virtuous act would just be not to kill people in that scenario, <laughs> right? Um, so like you know, you, you can't kind of save an action's virtue by you know, fixing one bit of it. Like, it, it's kind of got to be taken on the whole. You can't put, like, a nice... You, you, you can't polish a turd. Yeah, to right. Yeah, use to, an analogy. To, to That's use a very uh, succinct theological and philosophical statement. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. love it. Yeah. Thou shalt not polish turds. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. That is where we're going to have to leave it for this week. There will be a part three coming out next week, which, you, I mean, you can hear then after you listen to the wonderful music of Kevin McLeod. Thanks, Kevin. Um, and you can email us at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. You certainly can. And if you'd like to walk into a bar with us at some stage, if you're in Canberra, we do that once a month. You can find details on the Christian Buddhist Bar Facebook page. Hopefully we'll see you then.